Welcome to Managed Carecast, a podcast from the American Journal of Managed Care. My name is Christina Mentina, Senior Editor of the American Journal of Managed Care. On this episode of Managed Carecast, we're talking with two co-authors of a commentary published in our February 2021 issue. The commentary, Achieving Better Value in Pediatric Care, School Systems as Clinical and Financial Partners, explains the opportunities for the healthcare and education systems to cooperate in value-based contracts to improve outcomes for students. The authors joining us today are Dr. Venus Wong of the Clinical Excellence and Research Center at Stanford University and Dr. Huang Mai Pham of the Institute for Exceptional Care. take us through some of the main points of your commentary? So the main point is really straightforward. Healthcare and education are inseparable for children. What we know is that when school and healthcare come together, there are clinical and financial benefits. Value-based payment methods basically work as a way for the two parties to come together and work together. This commentary is an invitation for the leaders in both fields to come together, talk about what would be the next step to innovate pediatric care. What inspired you to write it? I I love this question. Um, When I was a psychology intern at a school, there were so many times that my colleague and I didn't have to call the ED, didn't have to call the police if the students had access to sufficient physical and mental health services at school. After that, I I went to the Clinical Excellence Research Center at Stanford University, and I have been studying value-based model. And I was so inspired by Kelly Callenshaw's work at the Partners for Kids is a pediatric capitated health plan in Ohio. He creatively brings healthcare to school. And I started to wonder, what if we can actually scale up collaborations between healthcare and school? What would that look like? Well, I'm the parent of an autistic child, so we have firsthand experience with how poorly health and education services can be coordinated. But more generally, I've spent the past decade designing and running value-based payment programs in both the public and private sectors. And one recurring frustration that payers have is how hard it can be to define the business case in pediatrics when you know large payers typically take a very short-term view of return on investment and, uh, and children take longer than the typical time window to manifest the benefits. However, for kids with special healthcare needs, I think the short-term business case is a little bit easier to define. And it's those kids that come in particular to mind for me when I think of what we can achieve in health and education partnerships. So I also think that if we can leverage that focus to then also address wellness and preventive health for all children, that that will help generate the long-term return on investment. And if we can do that, then why not seize the opportunity? How has the growth of alternative payment models opened the door to collaboration between the health and education systems? 
So here's something that is really, really interesting to me. It's not only about the alternative payment models in healthcare, but also those in education. It's called pay for success in education. Um, so the Department of Education is experimenting with a few different so-called value-based or payment uh, pay for success projects. And the goals of this type of contracts and projects are really similar to what we do in healthcare, basically to improve outcome and contain the cost in the same time. To me right now, the two value-based trends, they are largely uncoordinated, like two high-speed trains going in parallel without talking to each other. And the opportunity is that when these two join forces together, I think it's going to open up a huge opportunity to think about what would be the future of pediatric care. So to zoom back in, in healthcare, the APMs right now opens up a lot of opportunities to provide care at wherever people are at. So it provides more flexibility for care delivery. And schools are so logical and intuitively to be the place to provide care for children. Um, the caveat is definitely pre-COVID. Um, so that COVID changes a lot of stuff. Um, and this line of thinking is reflected in CMMI's INC model, the Integrated Care for Kids model, which names school as one of the core child services and encourages partnerships. To me, this is the door. Right now, the two parties have incentive to actually do something together collaboratively to improve child health. And what we need to do is to make this door wide open. How do certain high need, high cost conditions like autism provide opportunities to align value? So of course, these are the kids who are at most risk for falling through the cracks. And that means that if clinicians and educators can really collaborate on several things, on setting common life and care goals for those children with special needs, and then collaboratively designing the interventions that make the most of both healthcare and educational settings, because you know it's not about telling just telling each other what one sector is doing and what the other sector is doing. It's really co-designing that intervention. Then fewer kids will fall through the cracks. So I see it as opportunities on multiple levels to catch problems quickly, to coordinate, to co-design and intervene in a multidisciplinary fashion. If we can prevent poor educational and clinical outcomes like hospitalizations or school absenteeism, that creates value in both systems. What changes need to take place to enable value alignment between the two systems? I think it's really important that clinicians and educators deliberately plan to collaborate. And that probably has to begin with culture change in both sectors. They aren't used to working with one another. They have a lot of insecurities about how to do that. Clinicians have to become invested in what happens to children in schools um, on a concrete level, not just an abstraction. And educators similarly have to be invested in children's health. Frankly, I worry that many clinicians balk at taking responsibility for anything that happens outside of healthcare's walls because of some combination of real-time constraints or because the social complexities feel overwhelming to them, or 
they can't find the support that they need to actually intervene, like having a safe and reliable way to exchange information with schools or staff to support health interventions in schools. Those are really high barriers for any payment incentive to overcome. And that's why Institute for Exceptional Care is really focused on both changing culture in mainstream healthcare and also working toward incentives that would be compelling. How has COVID-19 further emphasized the need for better coordination between health and education systems? Well, like many other arenas of life, COVID has really created many new challenges for kids, but it has also made both the healthcare and educational arenas kind of moving targets, right? Organizations are day by day changing how they identify children's changing needs, how they staff their core activities, what might have qualified in terms of a a red flag, this child is in trouble um, as a cause for concern two years ago, might not be the same red flag that you look for today. And the pandemic on top of that has just amplified mental health challenges for children, for families, for clinicians, and for educators. So that's an awfully fluid context. And in that context, everyone might be safer if there's a stronger coordination across the two sectors. As a parent, I can tell you that in a typical week in that gap, I've had to learn to send update emails to the whole range of my son's both school support system and clinical support system and other counselors. I must send at least 20 messages a week to try to coordinate his services and supports. It's exhausting. And most caregivers aren't physicians and health policy experts. So IEC really understands that both sectors need to step into that breach, but they can only do that if policymakers and healthcare payers support them. For more about this issue, visit AJMC.com or see the show notes. To get in touch with us, email info at AJMC.com or follow us on Twitter at AJMC underscore journal. And if you like the podcast, don't forget to subscribe and rate us.